a poem, a poem, a poem from Hafiz. Entitled, The Subject Tonight is Love. The subject tonight is love, and for tomorrow night as well. As a matter of fact, I know of no better topic for us to discuss until we all die. As usual, I was... preparing for to speak while I was sitting. <laughs> no, I was actually just sitting quietly and, and seeing what bubbled up. But one of the things that floated through my mind, which often does, uh, often has over the years, is the, the beautiful expression of light and love that I see from uh, emanating from people who practice and especially people who practice have practiced in a in a very intensive way over a certain period of time show it very markedly how uh, show how one can move in a relatively short time depending on what we do with our attention can move from a very in a very short time from a kind of calcified, hardened, tight-hearted, fearful, uh, narrow vortex of self-preoccupation to a a wider, more open circle of caring and affection, and it's visually evident by looking into the eyes of people who've been practicing for a sustained period of time. Now, I see that also in the eyes of people who've been practicing over many years. You, even though we all go through many ups and downs, there is a progressive, uh, a pro- a progressive loosening of our hearts and clear- clearing or clarifying of our minds that produces an obvious effect of... Uh, the capacity, the increased capacity to love. And what that has shown me is not so much that if you practice, you become more loving. What it's shown me more and what's given me so much confidence in practice is that when the conditions are, um, when we feel safe, and last week we talked about safety and security, when we feel safe, when conditions are supportive, at least initially, where, for the example of a retreat, you're sitting quietly, nobody's bothering you, some of your tasks, you've, your ordinary day-to-day stresses you releasing, the, um, the sights and sounds and smells and tastes, the barrage of sensory input is less intense than it is in our daily life. So clearly these are the, re- the conditions of a retreat are unique and they are particularly 
supportive for a relaxing of our of our um, our hearts and minds, a relaxing of our tensions and our stresses. Now, it could be that when we relax our tensions and stresses, you would discover what Ajahn Sumedho jokes about, that there's some ogre lurking way down deep inside that's just been waiting for an unguarded moment to drive you permanently insane. But what we find instead, we may see the little ogres, but we see them as changing conditions. As he says, like sand grains of the Ganges River, maybe ugly sand grains, but we see that they're just sand grains. That's all. They're no big deal. But what we see even more prominently when our hearts, minds, bodies relax is that what naturally radiates from every single being's heart when they feel safe is love, is the, a sense of, of connection, is a sense of belonging, is a sense of home. Not because the retreat is a home or the practice is a home. One, beco- one comes home to their own intrinsic nature and, get, and gets high not just not on some kind of external conditions, but gets high on the, the natural radiance of our own hearts. I often share the passage from, from Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj where he says, when the mind heart is kept away from its, pre-op, from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. And if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it, you will discover that it's permeated with a light. I often emphasize the light part. But it is permeated with a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. So he's reminding us, this is intrinsic to us. This is the natural state of our heart and mind, is love, is radiance. Uh, so it's not something that we, um, that we have to create. Sometimes we, it's necessary that we need to, to put ourselves in conditions that will help remind us of that. And I consider Tuesday night conditions that help us remind ourselves of that nature. And as Galway Cannell says in his poem, sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. Actually, I brought along, I want to read the next few lines. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within, of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, and put a hand on the brow of the flower, and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. So this is the good news, as I often like to share the good news first, that our natural state, our intrinsic heart, is radiant, is caring, is, is loving. And this is what shines through. I have yet to see a person that that doesn't occur for. When they're kept away from their preoccupations, in other words, they're... The conditions are supportive, and there is an increase of safety and um, 
quiet and um, there's a, a relaxing of our, of our fear. The good news. But the more challenging news is that we, because of, um, because of the inner and outer conditions of our lives and because of the forces of greed in our minds and in the world, hatred in our minds and in the world, delusion, mistaken notions of what brings happiness, mistaken, mistaken versions of ourselves that we bow to and follow uh, in our minds, because of greed, hatred, and delusion and ignorance, we have become bound up. Our bodies and minds have gotten tight, hard, fearful. We live in uh, hope in future. We live in the imagined past. And we've lost connection with this, um, this natural state, this natural love. And so sometimes it is necessary to reteach ourselves our loveliness. And that's why the Buddha emphasized so strongly that there was no better practice in this world for anyone than the practice of loving kindness, of developing, of reminding ourselves, using our conceptual mind, our reflective mind, in the best possible way that we can use it to awaken, to reawaken, to re mind ourselves of uh, our capacity to love and then to go about uh, letting it shine, letting it flow. I think I'm a a little bit of a test case because I've always had a pretty good disposition, but to be able to feel a sense of love and a sense of connection, we couldn't say, I don't think anybody around our house ever said, I love you. There was a lot of, there was affection, there was flow of love, but people didn't say, I love you. And I couldn't say it. And when I, when I would try to say it, I love you, it would, I would feel this tightness in my heart. It felt like a foreign language. From the, the, the course of using the language of love, practicing love, practicing loving kindness, learning how to live in the present moment, which is the place of connection, learning how to open my eyes, look other people in the eyes. I was talking to someone today uh, who was talking about their, uh, their relationship, as I often meet with people talking about their relationships. And one of the questions I had is whether you when you're speaking to your beloved, do you look each other in the eyes? And that was a kind of wake-up call. When it seems so, it seems such a natural thing to want to tune in to the light and the love in that other person. Where else to look but into the eyes? And to say, hi, I'm in here, are you in there? Like Ram Dass used to say. Because in that moment... That moment where your your mind you're you're not just glancing at each other. You're not just like ships passing in the night. You're you're not off in your in your worries or hopes. You for that moment you connect, and it's all about connection. At that moment you connect, 
And as I've said so many times here, it is, if I take, if I look at any one of you for any more than a few moments, I will, in some measure, I will, I will feel that sense of falling in love. And I think it's true with all of us when we let ourselves connect. But initially, what this connection, the connection with immediacy, either through mindfulness or loving kindness, or just giving some, someone attention, initially, it reminds us of all that has been built up, all that has become calcified, all that has become tense, all the defenses that we have built because of that lack of safety and security that I spoke of, of last week. And for all the reasons. And so initially we, we find a lot of fear, a, a lot of awkwardness at being just open. I, w- I want to get back to the test case. Now I can tell anybody that I love them. I really can. And, it's, and it actually, I don't feel self-conscious about it. I don't feel, I don't feel that sense anymore. So I know that it's possible to reclaim that heritage, that intrinsic nature, that line, that Thich Nhat Hanh line that, that I often share where he says, you who are the richest person on earth, and we'll substitute loving, you who are the most loving person on earth, you are the, I'll, I'll do it the way it was originally, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child, come home, reclaim your heritage. You can, you can reclaim your heritage, you can love. But sometimes you have to reteach yourself to love. And it starts in the simple ways in our lives by looking others in the eyes, s- slowing down, stopping, paying attention, connecting first with our bodies. I, the reason tonight I did that little loving kindness toward the body. How many of you had forgotten you had a body until you came here to? Maybe not too many, but... I don't know, for me, it's a revelation when I go through the whole body and treat it nicely. It's as though I really haven't remembered. I've been, I've been living in my virtual body and in the picture of my body. I haven't actually felt it, the field of sensations. It's, and I feel so grateful and I, love starts to flow. It's not like I'm worshiping the body. It's not sentimental. It's just, oh... I'm back. I'm here. But it's the same. It doesn't matter the object. It doesn't matter whether it's our body, whether it's another person's body, or they're looking into their eyes. That, that moment of connection, that moment of gathering our, ourselves to this place in the universe where we connect with everything, that one-pointedness, that ekagata, so easy to miss. And it's just a matter of slowing down, pausing, stopping, taking it all in. And then for a moment, forgetting that I have a situation in my life. I have circumstances in my life. I don't have this. I don't have that. Forgetting for one moment and saying, I'm grateful for, I'll use the words from Thoreau, I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. He, he, gets, he embellishes a little. He says, 
my thanksgiving is perpetual. It says it's uh, surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, only a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches, for no run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not uh, possession, but enjoyment of being. So we can find it in just simple moments of presence, but we can also find it through using our conceptual mind to remind us by remembering that I want to, it's almost like reminding us of our deep intention, I want to reclaim the space of love. I want to come out of the tangle of ill will, fear, worry, aggression. I want to come out, I want to live in silence. I want to live in presence again. I want that love to flow. So I'm going to start by saying, may I be happy and peaceful. It's another way of saying, may I come home. May I feel safe. Again, we did this last week. May I feel safe and protected. So I'm well, even with these words, I'm already starting that process of awakening, reminding myself of that deep wish to be connected, that deep wish to awaken, to reawaken love. May I feel safe and protected. May I feel healthy. I'm wishing myself well. I'm already practicing the flow of affection and caring. This is what naturally flows when I'm present. But I'm, but I'm not quite so present yet, but I'm reminding myself, yeah, this is what happens. And so I'm, I'm awakening that quality. May I feel ease. May I have ease of well-being. May I feel well. So we start that. We just repeat it over and over. May I be happy and peaceful. Try it for a moment. May I be happy and peaceful. How many of you say, oh, not me? Everybody else here. I want them to be happy, but me, I don't deserve to be happy. I haven't quite accomplished enough to be happy. I haven't been loving enough. I haven't been this enough. I haven't been that enough. The world isn't, uh, I can't be happy. The world is a mess. So all the considerations, all the excuses, all the old the old um, unworthiness, all the old stuff. But it's, it takes a certain courage to truly wish yourself well and to do it with gusto, do it with, without hesitation. But just to strengthen your eagerness to reawaken love and to practice loving kindness, I will share the famous sutra from the Buddha where he speaks about this as the only way to fly called the Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. I think you all know the path of peace. And we just come here on Tuesday night to be reminded I don't tell you anything you don't know intuitively, clearly. I'm just, you're, I'm just representing that voice in your own mind that sometimes gets a little dim when you're 
you've watched too many advertisements and uh, and have too much stress built up from from having to deal with the all the incredible stresses of the day. Anyway, this is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward, and gentle in speech. It's a good start, gentle in speech. Try that tomorrow. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. How many of you are easily satisfied? <laughs> the good news is contentment and easily satisfied is is Contentment is an unconditional quality. It's really a matter of turning toward contentment. So we have to, this is, he's asking us to decide, do you want more stuff or do you want contentment? Do you want to stay on the, on the wheel of becoming, of endless searching, of endless dissatisfaction, which is considered, which he considered one of the primary hindrances to love? And clearly it's a hindrance to contentment. Contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways. Now, this doesn't mean... When I hear unburdened with duties, I get we all have duties, but how many of us feel unburdened by them? And this, uh, I've thought about this one a lot because it seems, it could imply that you have to just drop out of the world, drop out of your life. But I choose to read this differently. This is a, a challenge to look at my duties and all that I have to do to live my life. All the the routines that I do, the people I have to deal with, the the uh, the repetition of so many uh, so many um, responsibilities and you know everything that I call it the the groundhog day part of life where you just get up and keep doing it over and over again no one gets away without this kind of what the Buddha called Sankara Dukkha, the Dukkha of the relentlessness of conditions presenting themselves. But he says, unburdened with duties, it is possible with this Sankara Dukkha, just the, the stress of doing things over and over and over again, to not add the second truth, the second noble truth, the, the reactivity to those duties that make them feel like burdens. So it is possible to, in the course of our daily life, to, you can see that some days where the same tasks seem to flow very well, and the other days where, they're, where they feel like huge burdens. Situation hasn't changed, but our mental state has. And we can see that our... Our, react, our 
our capacity to love and to be unburdened has not much to do with the outer circumstances, but has to do with the inner circumstances. So unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. I'll back up and read again. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness, who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties. Now we have a choice how we can relate to that sound out there. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Now that's a challenge. Frugal in their ways. Wow. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Now wouldn't it, don't you think, this is obvious, if you started your day every day and then remembered this several times a day to wish that all beings be filled, that all beings be at ease, do you think that might change your attitude a little bit? Might bring a little bit ease to your heart? Do you think you might be a little less reactive? Just a little bit. I know even when I hear these words, may all beings be at ease. Something happens. It's reminding my heart of what it, what it wants. It's reminding, of my, it's reminding my heart that all beings want that. And so even the ones who are driving me out of my mind, they also want to be at ease. They may choose really convoluted, neurotic ways of finding peace, but everybody wants to have peace. Everybody wants to be free of suffering. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one 
having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into the cycle of suffering. Very simple passage from famous Tibetan sage Changkapa, part of the 15th of the 27 verse, verses on mind training. Uh, he was the teacher to the first Dalai Lama and apparently instrumental in renewing the emphasis on Prajnaparamita Sutta. And here's what he said. Of all the possible forms of benefit on any level, the highest is to teach the practice of love. The indomitable faith in universal goodness by the direct transmission of selfless awareness flowing transparently from mind to mind in accordance with the need and capacity of each mind. You know, we can, you can think of the, the guru giving mind-to-mind transmission of love according to the capacity of the student, but each of us has this capacity to give mind-to-mind transmission of love every day. And it really is a matter of, re, of reminding ourselves to do that, to gathering our attention, to making those connections, and at least sustaining that connection long enough to begin to feel that flow of heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind. So try it with the clerk in the, in the corner store tonight. Try it with your friend. Try it with your beloved. Stop for a moment. Listen. Look. Pause. There are some benefits to practicing metta. These are the benefits that the Buddha suggested. People who practice metta, loving-kindness, sleep peacefully, wake peacefully, dream peaceful dreams. People love them. Angels love them. Angels will protect them. Poisons and weapons and fires don't harm them. Their faces are clear. Their minds are serene. They die unconfused. And when they die, their rebirth is in heavenly, heavenly realms. Well, we have to think of a modern version of that, but you can hear, you can know this for yourself. You shouldn't adopt any of this as a belief, but see for yourself what happens when you practice metta. I want to just give you a brief sneak preview of something I'm planning for the fall. We did, last winter, we did the 100-day retreat uh, voluntary 100 days of practicing some measure of practice four times a day. I'm going to do a, a not maybe not 100 days, but eight weeks of loving kindness or Bra- what we call Brahma Vihara practice, the heavenly abodes, the, the sublime states of love, compassion, joy, and equanimity and do that over eight weeks and encourage people to do it four times a day. But you don't need to wait until September when I start the official program. Tomorrow morning, the moment you wake up, start by, as the Buddha suggested, start by directing thoughts and feelings of loving kindness toward yourself.
And as you go through the day, no matter how dark your mind becomes, no matter how angry, frustrated, judgmental, no matter what it is that you notice, whoever you noticed, let every single person, every single state of mind, every thought be like your Dharma bell, like the gong. Letting it be the reminder to practice a moment of loving kindness. To make it be the cause of your self-respect, your self-love, your self-appreciation, maybe even gratitude for that moment that you've awakened to what your mind is doing. But let everything be used on behalf of your love of love and your desire to reawaken and generate love. Because we are, in every moment, this is Dharma 101, in every moment, no matter what we do with our, our bodies, our actions, our speech, or our thoughts, whatever it is that's being generated, and however it is that we react to that, whether we meet that with, if, whether we get identified, grasping, aversion, fall into ignorance, whatever we do with our body, speech, or mind produces a result. Everything, every moment is a seed being planted. As Padmasambhava put it, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. Because your present is you experience the fruits of what you have practiced. Now, without leading to self-judgment or blame, what is the state of your heart and mind, by and large? Is it contented? Is it loving? Is it spacious? Is it clear? If it is, it's the result of what you've practiced. If your mind is filled with insatiable desire, ill will, aversion, fear, worry, this is what you practiced, mostly unknowingly, mostly innocently. But he didn't stop with, if you want to understand your past, look at your present experience. He said, if you want to understand your future, look at your present actions. What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your speech? What are you doing with your mind? So we can, we literally can change, we can turn our minds toward love by planting the seed of love. That's why, that's the whole reason we practice, is to is to reawaken, remind us of what, um, of the, the way that we want to live and then to live that way. Just a few little reminders of, because we don't really have a lot of time, just a reminders of some of the things that we want to turn into love, things that are blocks to loving kindness. Perfectionism. Let your perfectionism remind you let it be the cause of accepting yourself as you are. And let it, turn into, uh, let it turn into an embrace of loving kindness. Every time you noticed 
the tightness of perfectionism, the feeling of of needing to control everything so that so that it things can be just right. Let it be the cause of loving kindness. Perfectionism, judging mind. Every time you see the judging mind, which is of course is a roadblock to loving kindness. Let it be the cause of loving kindness. Every time you notice guilt. I know Tom Moon gave a lovely talk on working with guilt. But let it be the cause of loving kindness. Let it remind you of your... Of your or let it be the cause of either equanimity or the practice of, of sila, of, of non-harming. For the irrational or the rational guilt that he spoke of. But you can use it all on behalf of your intention to grow in love. I think, I'm, I think you all want to grow in loving kindness, don't you? Want to reclaim that? It's not out of your reach. And even use your doubts about it as a reminder to plant the seed of loving kindness. It can't hurt you. Just say, may I be happy. May my heart be at ease. May I be free of confusion and doubt, skepticism. Even your depression and your dullness, let it be the cause of mercy and caring and kindness. Let nothing be unused on behalf of loving kindness. Your emotional body, all your emotions, the crazy, buried, un cooked seeds, all the traumas. Let it all be the cause of loving kindness. We get so frustrated with the things that we haven't worked out. It doesn't help. The Buddha said it very simply, hatred never ceases by hatred, by love alone. So what, if we, we can't hate our problems. We can't hate them away. <laughs> Only by love. The comparing mind... Turn the comparing mind, the torment of comparing, turn it into love. Someone was just telling me about, they were just doing so beautifully. They were just flowing along, right, doing this intensive writing in the morning, doing studying jujitsu, doing all these wonderfully creative things. And they got an email from a friend that was doing something that they thought was even more interesting. And all of a sudden, they, it caused this whole cascade of thoughts, and before they knew it, they had made the conclusion that their summer had been a waste, and their life was going nowhere. All within the span of ten seconds. We... Th- we can notice this. We can shift out of the belief in that to noticing it and then let it be the cause of love. Comparing mind. The competitive mind. There's, it's built into our DNA to be competitive. It's all part of the comparing mind. Above, below, equal. Turn it into love. Don't, don't try to suppress that. Get a kick out of your own competitiveness. Start laughing at it and laugh at everybody else's too. It's hysterical actually. Yeah, unworthiness, turn that into mercy and love. All that unworthiness, it's such a lie. It's so stupid. I don't mean, I'm not judging you for unworthiness, but it, <laughs> it's...
That's absurd, though. No one has ever seen an unworthy person. It doesn't exist. But yet, somehow we build this little monument to an imaginary version of ourselves, that, and we can make ourselves undeserving. It's, so, it's, it's beyond absurd. So we all do it, but turn it into love. I think that's enough for tonight. Forgiveness, love. Do everything with a mind that's filled with loving kindness. So rather than do a, another loving kindness, I thought that we would chant a version of the Metta Sutta tonight. Essentially, it says, by this practice in according with the, with the, uh, with the true Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Uh, again, that reminder that that wish for all beings, all living things, all creatures, individuals, personalities, females, males, noble ones, those who are not so noble, deities, humans, those in unhappy circumstances, they, may they be free from enmity, free from mental suffering, may they be free from physical suffering, may they take themselves, care of themselves happily, free of suffering, may all beings experience safety and abundance, may they have their karma, actions as their true property. That's what I meant by let all your actions of body, speech, and mind, let it all be the cause of loving kindness. Work with it. May all beings be happy. But we're going to chant it in the Pali call and response. Imaya Damanu. Your turn. Imaya Dhamma Patipatiya Buddham Pujami Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Dhammam Pujami Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Sangam Pujami Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Mata Pitunam Pujami Mata Pitunam Pujami Imaya Damanu Dhamma Patipatiya Acharyanam Pujami Sabe Sata Sabe Panna Sabe Bhuta Sabe Pugala Sabe Atabawa Pariyapanna Sabaitiyo Sabe Purisa Sabe Arya Sabe Anarya
Sabe Dehiwa Sabe Manusa Sabe Winipatika Awera Hontu Apia Paja Hontu Apia Paja Hontu Aniga Hontu Sukiatanam Pariharantu Dukamuchantu Yatalada Sampatito Mahigachantu Kamasaka Sabe Sata Suki Hontu Sadhu three times. Sadhu 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 All the sadhus you want. That means well done, well done, well spoken. So I think this is enough of a blessing to all beings and implicit in this is our uh, wish that any benefit that we have from our practice today or every day be shared and be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all, including ourselves, never leaving ourselves out. So tomorrow morning I highly encourage you to start by directing thoughts of loving kindness toward yourself. Wish yourself well in whatever way you know how. You can use the classical phrases, may I be happy and peaceful, safe and protected, healthy and strong, ease of well-being, or make any up that you like. And then spread that out to the beings who you see during the day, toward all beings in your, in your mind, uh, until there is ultimately no one left out of your circle of love. So thank you for listening. And we'll hit a little gong, and then I'll just share a couple announcements. So thank you. Most everyone here has been here before, so you know our $150 a week room rental and the invitation for you to offer room rental Donna if you feel able and inclined. And uh, So thank you in advance for the support of your own room rental. And uh, the teaching teacher Donna, whoever takes this seat, offers it freely, offers the teachings freely. Invitation if you feel able and so inclined to offer teacher Donna. You can all put it in the basket write checks, do the PayPal, whatever way you want. I think you know the whole routine. Thank you in advance for your generosity, and thanks for your practice, and I hope to see you next Tuesday. Take care.
can always use help uh, putting away the cushions, getting the chairs back in order, etc., etc. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.